Hello, and welcome to Let's Bond, a new podcast from the First Nations Finance Authority. I'm your host, Richard Perry. This series will explain how the FNFA is helping communities build their own futures on their own terms. On this episode, the story behind the creation of the Fiscal Management Act and a new lending organization that's now having a tremendous impact across Canada. My guest is Tim Raybolt, a respected consultant who was in on the ground floor, and he has some great stories to share about the people behind it all. I hope you'll enjoy our conversation. And joining me now on the Let's Spawn podcast is Tim Raybolt. Tim, welcome to the show. Good of you to join us. Hello, Richard. I was in Winnipeg recently and mentioned the fact that we'd be speaking, and, and three people at the table said, Tim, you're talking to Tim? Awesome. He's got a great history and a great knowledge of the whole background, so you're in good hands. So nice to meet you at last. Nice to meet you, too. So take us back. Uh, it's been fascinating discovering more about the FNFA, and you were back there in the early days, and maybe talk about the founding first. Sure, yeah. Uh, the FNFA, I mean, it's, it's, an, it's, it's amazing. I mean, in terms of what it's uh, being able to do today and provide services to so many First Nations. But, but really, it started, um, well, it, it started at West Bank, at West Bank First Nation in the, uh, in the late 80s. So um, when the Indian Act was amended in 88, so that uh, First Nations could uh, collect property tax from um, designated lands, so leases and things on their lands, a number of First Nations started to look at putting into place property taxation. And West Bank was one of those communities. And I, I started working as an employee at West Bank in 19, uh, 1990. Um, and another lady also started working about the same time, Deanna Hamilton. And she is the, uh, she is the, if you were called the matriarch, or the, or she is the, 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 the founding sort of person, leader, political uh, community leader behind the FNFA. And so um, in 19, actually it was in 1990, West Bank did its first property tax bylaws. And, uh, and Deanna, who was the surveyor of taxes at the time, was looking to build using the, the pro- property tax revenues and some other revenues to build a water system and a sewer system um, for since Captain IR nine and some other parts of the reserves at West Bank. And so she was she went to the banks basically to to try and see how she could use the property tax in order to secure financing. And they basically would just give her five year loans. Um, uh, at uh, at higher rates, uh, not respecting the fact that you know the First Nation, albeit an Indian Act band, was was uh, uh, you know had a stable tax base and was a government. Um, so she started to look around, and we and we both did, and we we started talking to our neighboring municipalities. So we talked to Peachland, and we're wondering how they built their you know finance their infrastructure. And there was something in British Columbia called the Municipal Finance Authority, which basically pools the the borrowing requirements of of uh, all of the local governments in in British Columbia and more. Um, And so even the smallest ones or the largest ones can basically come together and sort of with the... uh, the sum of the, you know the, the 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 total being you know more than the sum of the parts uh, uh, were able to be able to get access to financing on the on the on the markets and there was no such vehicle for First Nations there was no there were limitations under the Indian Act for how you can borrow um, there was no debenture financing or unsecured financing there was no bonds there was no rated entity that was issuing bonds uh, or any Indigenous government issuing bonds to provide for its financing. And so we started back then, like in 1990, starting to talk. We went out and started to talk to all sorts of other different First Nations and uh, Tiacton in British Columbia and uh, St. Mary's and uh, and all across the country. We moved. We went all across the country um, 
basically, and this is just on the side of our desks, this was sort of a, a project, a bit of a labor of love, knowing that we needed to create this sort of public institution. And I think the name, if I'm thinking back now, the actual name of FNFA was coined in around 1993. And then what we actually did was in 1995, we incorporated FNFA Inc., um, where West Bank was the owner of the shares, but not because it was going to be a for-profit uh, entity, but in order to sort of st start the process of creating a sort of a, essentially a public financing vehicle institution for Indigenous governments. And so we met with all the – and it started because of property tax, So uh, because that was the, the kind of the, the source of revenue that we were initially believing would be the, you know, the primary source of revenue to support this, this infrastructure. Um, financing, and then we actually, you know, and then and it sort of, and then went it went from there. It's just it was a uh, we 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 entered into an arrangement or contract with the municipal finance authority. Jim James Craven, Jim Craven was the uh, the CEO down there for the MFA, and they they started to help us. We we started to to get First Nations working together cooperatively to to show that you know this is how because none of us could go to the markets by ourselves. None of us was large enough; it would be too cost prohibitive. Mm -hmm. It was just not possible to go to the markets by ourselves to. To do financing, you have to come together and sort of pool it. Particularly, so so we we went out there and things went from there. So it's almost like a, a cooperative. I mean, that was the approach yeah. generally, right? Yeah, it is. It's, it's like it's uh, today. It's under you know it's statutory. So the FNFA Inc was replaced by a statutory First Nations Finance Authority, which is an you know a a, a, a special purpose corporation um, under federal legislation, which has no share capital. So it, it basically operates. Uh, I mean, it's as a not-for-profit. So, so basically, the First Nation governments run it and control it um, with rules and standards that are set through legislation and through their internal, uh, you know, governance structures, internal corporate documents, and and it basically operates like a cooperative. Yeah, I mean, it's not a cooperative legally, but that's how it yeah. kind of operates. Yeah, for yeah, sure. yeah. And yeah. it's amazing to me to discover that. I mean, FNFA right now is on top of, I think, almost two billion. In loans, yeah. I mean, you must you must shake your head. <laughs> well, I do when I you know when I, when I look back to what our initial projections were, and uh, and uh, and before this, you you said you know how did you how did you you know come from doing a, I was actually I was at West Bank to be working on my PhD, looking at uh, the the shift from Indian Act governance to self government. West Bank was involved in self government negotiations, and I actually yeah. became the negotiator for West Bank for self government. Great team, huge, wonderful team there. Um, and that's and so, but but he asked me before this, this our podcast. If I was a numbers guy, well, if you look at our initial projections, I, I you know I, I was I was thinking back in the mid early nineties that you know twenty million, maybe forty million, <laughs> sixty million a year, and of course it's you know it's completely surpassed our expectations. But but the need was always there because if you look at the collect all of the First Nations in Canada and you look at them sort of you look at them collectively if they all need to do financing. I mean, to collectively we're larger. Than you know some of the smaller provinces and territories, right? And in, yeah. in terms of a group, in terms of our 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 financing needs and so forth. Yeah, and that's what you're trying to do is level the playing field, right? Because any municipality yeah. or any provincial government was able to go out and tap the capital markets and and get the job done. Precisely, uh, and there wasn't there wasn't a vehicle. Like we had to get a. There was no credit rating. We we I remember when we went. You know, we did our first. Uh, um, um, you know trips to to toronto and new york to to start the process for looking at getting a credit rating and what the market would need in terms of a legislative backstop to this because we had to we couldn't do it as indian act bans just as any we needed other legislation to deal with the restrictions under the indian act on borrowing and and also to to create a sort of a 
a system that could bring us together so that we would all be part of the same sort of follow the same rules as we as we go into this borrowing pool collectively right um and we need to make sure the markets were going to be comfortable with that so we so we went to you know we went i remember we went to to moody's when they had their office close to the world trade center before the, the buildings fell down and that and i remember our very first meeting going in there with our team and you know it's a, it was a beautiful office uh and and i remember going there and i think it was costa rica or something came out for us before we went in for our kind of interview or, or discussion and and they they had their they had their sovereign risk unit come in and i remember saying saying why is your sovereign risk unit coming in you know where we are we are with we're doing this within canada i mean there's issues about uh indigenous rights and so forth but this is all within canada so we are sub-sovereign debt right so so the, i remember that so the sovereign risk unit got up and left and the and the uh and the you know the one for uh um, subnational governments for sub-sovereign governments came in and because it's a different that's why we you know we this cooperative federalism how we all work together as indigenous governments and also you know be able to rely on some federal statecraft federal legislation in order to be able to sort of bring it together it's it's a it's a really yeah. interesting and good model now, were there any stumbling blocks back then i mean were you running into any opposition provincially or federally among any of the parties um, it's a really, it's a really good question. I think if you look at how long it took from the idea, so let's say the idea germinated in 19, I don't know, 1990, 1990, 1991, name 1993. Um, it wasn't until 2014 until the first bond issue was, was, uh, was issued by the FNFA after it became a statutory body. And then there was three pieces of legislation. There was all sorts of debate. Um, there was opposition from some indigenous communities that felt somehow, you know, maybe this was infringing upon their, their, uh, you know, their ability to do this individually. And, and it, it isn't, but it was, it, it is essentially better to work together and you have to find ways. And this was, I think, one of the great benefits or one of the great sort of lessons learned from the FNFA is that there is a, you know, we, we can't do all of these things individually. We knew at West Bank, we couldn't, we couldn't go to the market by ourselves and issue a bond to build a water system or a school or, you know, or to support our road development or whatever, because we, but, uh, so we had to work together. So yeah, there was some opposition. Um, but when it went through parliament, ultimately it had all party support. Um, and there was other institutions that were attached to the, to the bill that are the the the, the FNF the, the the First Nations Fiscal Management Act. There's a financial management board which supports the financing through the FNFA by providing sort of a uh, what we would call like in a in the municipal world in the F, in the MFA model is like the Inspector of Municipalities role that helps out if there's issues, right? Uh, and then there's the Tax Commission which which replaced the sections of the Indian Act uh, and established a sort of a way to collect property tax because remember at that time. Property tax was the uh, was the source of revenue that we all thought was going to be the primary source of revenue uh, as we started off um, with the FNFA. As it turned out, other revenues, you know, the securitization of other other revenues was, uh, you know, is is the is the primary source of revenue now for the FNFA. You mentioned the other organizations that were part of the act, and now there's a move afoot to include uh, the Infrastructure Institute, kind of a spinoff from the Tax Commission, to have that added as well. Is that mm -hmm critical to having the whole piece move forward together properly yeah i think there i mean there's room for all sorts of ways for uh, national institutions that are uh, established to support indigenous governments as we move away from governance under the indian act towards self-government even as we are governing under the indian act today right and there's there's a whole not there's a whole whole sort of 
there's a whole number of different sectoral governance initiatives, whether or not it's in sort of lands and, and resource development or uh, education or child and family services that, that that are sort of incrementally steps towards sort of becoming, I would say, more comprehensively self-governing over a range of areas of jurisdiction. Um, it just so happened that like financing was one that's critical. I mean, you 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 absolutely need to have financing tools, stable stable ways to get financing. It, you know, you have to go through a process to become a member. It's not you know, it's not. You know, it's it's you, and you have to pass laws and you have to have a rigorous system of financial administration. But once you have all that in place and it's functioning, you know, then you know with certainty that when you if when you require financing and and you have the ability to cover your 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 uh, obligations, um, you don't you you get the financing. You don't have to go to sort of go to a bank and do it. All. You know, it's going to be there, uh, and it's going to be at rates that are competitive. And we're going to see that benefit of that or more importance of that right now as interest rates start to go up and we're in a different period. We haven't been in a period like this for quite a while now. Exactly. And uh, one of the interesting things, too, is that uh, I expect one of the first questions a community might ask is, well, what kind of collateral do we have to put up? Mm -hmm. Well, surprise, surprise, none, right? None. They're debentures, right? So that was the whole point. It's all based on the credit rating. So, I mean, uh, the, I mean, when we, we when we started off, we we knew we had to get an investment grade credit rating, right, to be able to to, to simply sell our debentures and and have the spread uh, that, that they would be sold for, you know, within a, within the range of what Canada you know, Canada borrows for. We wanted to, you know, we wanted to make sh- we had to make sure of that. Um, and and the rate the credit rating's been going up, so it's it's a uh, it's whereas whereas as high as a, a as many of our provincial counterparts and more and higher in some some instances um i think that i think right now i think the rate was standard and pours is now a plus positive so it's probably it's gone up a bit in standard and i think the one for um for moody's is still uh aa3 um stable so i mean those are that those are really good and that takes work to get that that's not you know you don't just that just doesn't happen overnight you have to set it up so you and now all of these little first nation governments wherever they are in canada as long as they are part of the system and follow the, the rules and there's ways to ensure that you know they all benefit from that credit rating all of them well a good case in point is a, a Mi'kmaq community here in nova scotia that i've done work with and they've got connected with all the national organizations they mm-hmm. get certified under fmb with the tax commission uh, they've approved their own land code uh they borrowed i think it's six or seven million from fnfa mm-hmm. for its huge travel center and the trans canada highway and there are only like 450 people in this community, yep. yet they've been able to massively push forward their own economic development goals because of the system in place under the Act. That's right. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. To me, that's actually, if you look back at this, and to me, you know, I think that's, I mean, obviously the financing and what's been built with is is what you see on the ground, but the govern, mm-hmm. the govern, the governance thinking that's gone into this and the ability to actually, you know, work together cooperatively for mutual ends uh, for economic purposes is a really important, particularly in this day and age where, you know, yeah. groups are sending to want to separate themselves out and think they can just do it by themselves. Right. Yeah. Well, I tell all my settler friends, I said, listen, you don't know it and you're not hearing about it, but there is a quiet revolution underway. And, uh, you know, we see the, the term economic reconciliation in the newspapers and in the media, but very quietly things are happening across the country in communities large and small. And it's really encouraging. Yeah, it is. And, it's, and I, I think that there's a, this underscores um, that even though things take a long time, 
to 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 put into place and i you know it took it took years for the fnfa to 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 move from an idea on the side of our desks in west bank and to working with all these incredible people like chief sophie pierre before and uh, uh um chief robert louis and he's actually now the chief again at west bank but he was the chief right. back when this, this started there was the leaders of the fisc of the sort of the fiscal institutions collectively so diana was the fnfa diana is a band member from from West Bank was on council and was a surveyor of taxes, taxes there. Um, and then Harold Calla from Squamish was for FMB and he's still there. He's still working at FMB. Um, and then, and then Manny, Chief Manny or former Chief Manny Jules from Kamloops was the tax commission. Uh, and, and, um, and he's still involved with the, with the tax commission. Um, and then there was a Chief Tom Preset from Kettle and Stony Point who was statistics. Uh, and then from the FNFA side, it was, it was really there. I just think back who was, uh, who was there right at the start. So it was the, it was the, obviously the chief and council from West Bank supporting it. Um, but Chief Sophie Pierre from, uh, St. Mary's in Cranbrook. Um, and, uh, Joe Hall, who was the chief of Tiacton, um, Robert Sam from Songhees and from Millbrook, we had, uh, support from, from councillors there from, from over the years. Chief uh, Terry Paul was, uh, was, so these were all the, these were all the sort of the board of directors before there was actually really any borrowing, like for, for years, like from, from FN, FNFA Inc. from the mid, you know, 1990s to, to the point where the first bond was done. The, there, these were people that were just donating their time and saw the importance of it to be able to come together. And like I said, we sort of, we initially got the pooling idea together. We initially as FNFA Inc provided investment um, products. So basically, you know, you could join a, uh, an investment pool if you needed to invest money and get better rates because you're aggregating your money um, to get people interested, you know, working together. And then as we developed the borrowing program, um, and now they're developing other programs at the FNFA. I know they're developing insurance program. They have a commercial paper program. They have a whole bunch of things that they're looking at. Yeah. In fact, as soon as you mentioned pooling, the word insurance popped into my mind because Ernie and I had talked about that. And uh, I was surprised to hear that you can't get insurance on some major pieces of capital. Yeah. Yeah, there are, there are still limitations. I mean, there are systemic issues with trying to govern period as an, uh, as an indigenous government under the Indian Act. But, you know, the, the, over the last 20, 30 years, part of the, part of the objective has been to break some of those down or break as, and to, and to have these sort of sectoral governance initiatives while we sort of work through the more, more complicated transition from to actually being an Indian Act ban to being a recognized self-governing, self-governing, you know, uh, entity, self-determination under three and four of the articles of the UNDRIP, right? So there's a, one of the, you know, articles of UNDRIP talk about the need for indigenous or peoples to, to be able to self-determine and that includes self-government and, and have the means and the ways to finance their autonomous functions, right? Um, and that's, that's, this is all part of that. So, but it's hard to make a jump from just being an Indian Act ban to go, okay, into self-government. So the, this is all part of a sort of a continuum and a transition moving away from, from sort of the antiquated systems that have been in place. And we're seeing huge progress. Like there is a, it's a, it is a good news story, but you know, it, it needs to be more broadly, um, uh, implemented across the country and more communities, but there's over half of the first nations. And this just blows me away. And it makes me really proud of all the leaders that have been involved in this. You know, it blows me away. Now there's over half of the first nations in Canada. So half of these Indian act bands are, 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 are scheduled to the fiscal management, the first nations fiscal management act. And there's 88 borrowing and 140 or something. I may have the numbers slightly wrong, but 140 or something that are, that are, that are, you know, that are, that are, are in the position to be able to borrow or close to. So, I mean, it's a, 
it's really exciting. And I'm really, I'm very, I mean, I think back to some of those political leaders and what they went through and what they had to, uh, you know, how they actually were advocating for something that now seems so obvious and basic. Um, but there are still some areas in Indigenous governance and rebuilding Indigenous nations that haven't been done yet. So there's still a fair bit of work to do, but we are making progress in some areas. As the act was being developed and the organization was being formed, and you mentioned UNDRIP, are, are you happy with the progress and the timing of different jurisdictions that are adopting the principles of UNDRIP? It's good that Canada uh, adopted legislation. I mean, they followed BC. BC was the first uh, jurisdiction, provincial jurisdiction to to, to pass legislation. I, I mean, I think, I, I mean, personally, I'd like to see all of the, the, the provinces and territories do that. Um, but I, and I, and I think it's really important because UNDRIP, UNDRIP was actually being thought about in the early nineties. So there was, there was draft texts of people, you know, and Canadian political, indigenous political leaders were involved in, and technicians and so forth were involved very heavily in sort of working with others to develop that language as it moved over the years. Right. And so those of us that were involved in self self government negotiations, I, I I came on at West Bank to be the self government negotiator. I ended up, you know, and 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 so we were we were aware of what was being proposed internationally, um, and we actually, you know, we would we would refer to it even in in in, uh, in negotiations, even though they were still very very early drafts, you know, hoping that at some point it would come in. So so, but but clearly that led that. UNDRIP does does lots of things. I mean, it's a minimum standards for Indigenous rights um, as a subset of human rights. But what it's really, really important about it, it, it also puts an obligation on state governments, state governments to do things to support Indigenous governments in their pursuit of, of self-government or self-determination. So that means like passing legislation such as the First Nations Fiscal Management Act, which supports Indigenous aspirations to be able to work together and create a, 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 some form of structure or institution like, like the First Nations Finance Authority. Um, and that's sort of, that's that kind of cooperative federalism that I think in our country, UNDRIP really gives a lot of sort of um, uh, support to and, and maybe isn't as, as appreciated as much because, you know, sometimes we think of it sort of about about sort of separate worlds in which we all live, but the reality is 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 that we actually need to work together. So indigenous governments need to work together. Pooling, batching for finance is, is one example of that. It could be for insurance too, or will be for insurance too. But but also there's a role for other governments to support indigenous governments, and so that's why we know using federal legislation was a was was supportive of implementing indigenous rights, not contrary to it. Yeah. Something that's blown me away since I attended a conference uh, probably four years ago now was that the amount of volunteer effort that goes into sharing information among communities. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll see a large organization out west. Uh, I remember Chief Clarence Louis uh, at Osoyoos working closely with Rose Paul out here at mm -hmm. Buckingham Mi'kmaq Nation, offering his advice about how you need to, you know, get access to that highway. That's going to be key to development. Your band office can't be the biggest employer. You need business. You mm -hmm. need business. You need to move at the speed of business. Totally. And and there, that's a, that's very true. You know, I mean, I know, uh, you know, Chief Louis Clarence is, um, his doors are always open. I mean, he's always receiving delegations from other, other first nations interested in what, what uh, what his the you know Soyuz is doing? Um, it's the same at West Bank. You know, I mean, the intergovernmental affairs there is always getting uh, requests, and parties are coming, and the, and 
the, the members on council staff, others, uh, are always more than willing to share because, you know, you don't want to reinvent the wheel. You want to learn from people's, yeah. you know, best practices as also figure out what didn't work so well. Um, and you want to share ideas. You want to create those networks. And so that's also another reason why the, something like the FNFA or the, um, or the First Nations Land Management uh, Board, you know, th- these are the, the people that are they're the, the indigenous representatives that are on these bodies are from across the country. And, and the networks that are created when the members of these groups, not just the boards, but the members get together to be able to share real life experiences and, 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 and do those, do that networking. I can't explain how, just how important that actually is because it does one thing, like some of us that are, you know, that we, I mean, I earn a living now from working with first nations, doing negotiations and being a consultant, but there's also a lot of people that you, know, you shouldn't have to rely on consultants, right. And you shouldn't be, you should be, you should be able to have tools available that, uh, that, that you work cooperatively between indigenous governments um, to actually make these advancements that are that are that are so doable now, um, but uh, you know need people to support one another in doing them. Well, it's amazing the work that went into that so many years ago, and uh, I can tell you there are young people, you know, thirty miles down the highway here, working in the Mi'kmaq community, working at their own uh, businesses that have been established, you know, with the help of FNFA, and they're earning their own livelihood, their own income. They're no longer collecting a social payment from the band office or trying to bum a ride into town to find work. I mean, that's phenomenal. You'll never meet that teenager, but that person's working because of the groundwork that was done so many years ago. Yeah. I was looking at the, and getting, getting ready to remind myself of everything for this, for this pod, for this podcast. I uh, talking to you, Richard, I, I looked at the old, it's on the FNFA website and you can see all of the amazing projects that are being done across Canada. But I, I, I read the old annual reports that we did back in the, in the day back in the nineties and, uh, and I compared them to the, to the one for this year. I was like, Oh, well, that's a, you know, that's a little <laughs> bit different standard now <laughs> than, yeah. than what we had done originally. But, but, you know, but the vision was there and the people like Deanna and the people like Robert Sam, the people like Joe Hall and, and Pam Severson, who was a long-term staff person for the FNFA. And she did, she moved over from West Bank and became one of the first staff, like actual paid staff of the FNFA when the institution was uh, formally established uh, post being FNFA Inc., you know, when it was no longer sort of an in-house West Bank thing and when it actually became a the uh, the institution under the legislation so all these people you know they 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 put so much into it and there was literally it literally was a bit of a labor of love and i think some people didn't really understand that because okay why are you setting up a you know financial institution is not to make money and all no it's not actually it's actually to bring indigenous governments together we're not a bank it's to bring indigenous governments to get the best possible rates and to go to the markets collectively as a government get a credit rating an internationally rated credit rating and 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 basically provide economic opportunities for our communities that didn't otherwise exist previously because we didn't have access to this type of financing. Wow. What a success story. Is there anything else you want to add before we wind things up, Tim? No, it's, it's, it's a, it's a pleasure talking to you. And I, uh, I'm, um, hopefully you'll be able to talk to some of the, uh, you are talking to some of the, um, uh, you know, first Asian leadership that, that were involved in the early days. That would be good too. I, uh, I know Deanna's health hasn't been all that great, of recently, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, if she's up to it, she'd be a great person to talk to as well. Yeah. Well, you seem as fired up today as you probably were back in the late eighties. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I'll leave that to other people to determine if they uh, who knew me back then compared to today. So maybe that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anybody listening, if they want to get in touch with you, Tim, and just to, to pick your brain a little more to find out more information, uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Um, probably by um, uh, by email. Um, so it's a, uh, I don't know if you want to, it's a very long, I can, put it in, I can put that in the show notes. Sure. Yeah. Uh, people yeah. can see it in the description. Sure. Yeah, that would be, that would be good. Fantastic. Well, I appreciate the, the stories you've told and the uh, experience you've brought. Thank you so much. Thanks, Richard. If your community is looking for financial guidance or would like more information, visit the Finance Authority's website at fnfa.ca. You can also reach them by email at info at fnfa.ca. Stay tuned in the weeks ahead as we bring you new episodes of the Let's Bond podcast to help your First Nation manage wealth. I'm Richard Perry. Thanks for listening.